At RCR, we're on a mission to revive honest media, to report on critical censored stories, and to hold those in positions of power to account. But to make this happen, RCR needs to grow, and grow fast. For that, we need your support. Our Foundation Members Club is now open. Join us today and play your part in bringing back media you can trust. Learn more at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash members and see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Back in April, in fact, I can tell you the exact date, it was the 17th of April last year. So within the first month of Reality Check Radio being on air, you might remember if you're listening all the way back then, I talked with Lieutenant Colonel Roger Earp, retired, and former Army Chaplain Major Paul Stanaway. Now, they were two of a team of people that led and were looking after a much larger group of New Zealand Defence Force sailors, soldiers, airmen and civilians affected by the vaccine mandates in defence. Now, go back another year, and you might remember at the protest, I think it was, that that initial decision on on what we're about to talk about was released. It was appealed by the Defence Force, and that's when we talked last time. Okay, where are we now in um, February 2024? Roger and Paul are back with me. And who wants to be first to tell me what happened on Friday? Oh, I suppose I'll, I'll jump in, Paul. Yep. So the, the Court of Appeal uh, finally released uh, the findings on the... Um, on the court case, and and they found in our favour. Um, so uh, I, I think the key there was one key paragraph that used the word unlawful. So the particular process that the New Zealand Def- Defence Force took to deal with those who um, declined to have the COVID vaccination was ruled to be unlegal and need. And CDF, uh, if I recall correctly, was directed to review this particular document that he had produced. Right. Okay, so on the surface, a win, and it took a year to get to that, and and that's probably too long. How much of a win? Well, we're we're still not really sure, to be honest. I, I think Paul, and it's going to be dependent on how NZDF responds. Um, so uh, yeah, we've just been working uh, talking today about how we might uh, move forward and, and approach the defence force. Um, but we're really hoping that they uh, they'd be prepared to look at things, I suppose, differently. Uh, and and we there's an opportunity to um, for a number of or, or potentially for a number of very skilled and experienced staff to return to the defence force if they're prepared to uh, to accept the uh, the court of appeals decision and and to um, reinstall uh, reinstate people. Okay, why wouldn't they accept it? Do you think? Uh, well, a- as we understand, it only strictly uh, applies to the four applicants that were ruled in, okay. yep. in the uh, or that, that were part of the of the case, put forward the case. Um, but there's another uh, 22 regular force personnel who were also terminated. There's actually only only one of the applicants uh, in that group um, that was term- that was terminated. Um, and so it's just how the, the NZDF, I think, interprets it and, and how they choose to, to respond. 
Paul, do you think they'll double down? Do you know, I, I think I'd be surprised if at this point um, the NZDF decided to uh, double down, like you say, on this issue. I, I suspect what we're going to need to do over the coming weeks and months is to is to engage with uh, both the current but also potentially the incoming leadership within the New Zealand Defence Force to see what we can resolve. Um, what I can tell you is that there is a there was a, a great deal of, of happiness and and a sense of comfort for a lot of the people within our group who um, were impacted in some way or another by the by the uh, TDFO. Uh, the temporary orders and the initial mandate that the Defence Force um, put in place, then there's a, still a lot of positive feeling from all of our people towards the NZDF. So what we're hoping for is that there would be a reciprocal positive move and that between people who've been affected and the NZDF itself, especially the incoming uh, new leaders and, and the number of people who were already there, we're hoping that there will, it will be met with a level of positivity and a, and a level of Right, let's try and find a way that's healthy for everyone so that the, the nation could be even even more defended than it than it currently is. I mean, the experience that we have in our group is immense and, and a large number of those people still have deep affection for the New Zealand Defence Force and certainly for the country and we're hoping to find a good way forward. I'm going to ask you about how ready we are in just a moment. First up, though, you, you mentioned, uh, what, uh, is there a new sort of, a new guard coming in um, with this change of government, or is that a, just a, a just a coincidental timing thing? Um, it's possible, isn't it? With new people, they can kind of throw the others under the bus um, and sort of, <laughs> you know, it was them, it wasn't us. We, you know, and have that positive attitude because that's the thing in the end. Admitting you're wrong is the problem, right? That's fundamentally what we're up against here: people who can't admit that they were wrong and did a stupid thing. It is a very, speaking as a chaplain here, admitting we're wrong is a very difficult part of the human condition. Um, and saying sorry is a very difficult difficult aspect. The NZDF probably has a time of that because it does have to make serious calls a lot of the time. Um, and and to answer your initial, your initial question, part of the cycle of the New Zealand Defence Force is that um, command chains do turn over on an almost cyclical, um, it's not entirely you know, perfectly cyclical, but on, on a cyclical way of being. So we're not necessarily looking at uh, an old guard and a new guard, but I think there will be a level of, of should we say, uh, a leadership thinking shift uh, that we're hoping to engage with. What do you think, Roger? I think that's probably a fair way of saying it. Yeah, I suppose just to provide uh, a, a bit of context, Paul, uh, the last or uh, the previous Labor government um, extended all the service chiefs and the chief of the Defence Force uh, and the, the chief of the Joint Forces uh, for another three years, if I recall correctly. So this is um, unprecedented, unprecedented that we know of. Um, and, and so we've got this group that have that have essentially been in command for, in some cases, over five years, which is very unusual for the defence force. It's normally sort of two to three years at the most. So we understand they're all going to, or most of them anyway, are going to change out this year, starting with the chief of the defence force in April. So that hopefully that does bring, as, as Paul has said, um, you know, a, a change of attitude, a change of approach. Um, okay. To 
to another question. Um, the uh, how do I put it? The the readiness and the capability of our defence forces. I've been reading some you know stories lately that question whether that capability is as good as it could be or should be, given the restraints and constraints of a small country, etc. But if we know we know what's been happening out there, and it can't have not affected the defence force. How fit are they? How medically fit are they? If they all took this thing pretty well, there there must be consequences. So that must go to the, their capability and their fitness to do the task. Should it ever they ever be called upon? I think yeah, and and I'll I'll sort of speak first. I mean, certainly from my position as chaplain, I mean, even even before COVID, there was a level of of understaffing across almost all aspects of the NZDF recruitment and recruitment of people that are good for the for the job is getting tougher um and retention is even more difficult and we've obviously seen some of the pub publicized levels of of uh, attrition that the defense force has been struggling from um, I think it's fair to say that if the New Zealand Defence Force was called upon for any serious, uh, should we say, kinetic or operational requirement, there there would be there would be some some difficulty. And with regards to health, I think I think there are people whose health are struggling in the Defence Force. I mean, humans are humans. That has been true all of time. We don't have numbers on on that. Well, but we know that fit people time. who exert themselves greatly can be in danger through side effects to this thing of their heart stopping yes we have heard of some some stories of some of our colleagues or ex-colleagues um needing needing help needing medical help in those right. areas yeah. uh and we're not we're obviously not going to mention any names but uh, we also don't know numbers i have to say we don't know numbers but but but, but actually we should i want to know if i'm paying taxes to keep a military that's there to defend me and actually they're all going to collapse you know, crossing the road at Waiuru. I'm sorry, I got a problem with that. Uh, I'm not prepared to pay for that. And I think that's an absolutely fair, a fair statement. And I think any taxpayer needs to be able to look at their defence force and go, "We want to be proud of you. We pay for you, and and we want to be, we want to see that our our young men and women in the service, well, and our slightly older men and women in the service mm. are fit and ready and equipped to and do." I've the got job. a daughter in the navy, so I got yeah. skill in the game. You know. Yeah, you do too. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, I agree it's with you. not about me. I, I, I think we entirely <laughs> agree with you, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, another comment uh, to make. Um, on one of our legal programs last year, it became clear from one of the lawyers um, who had been involved in a few MIQ cases, including the case of his wife. Very disappointing stories about how some defense personnel behaved in those MIQ deployments. Like, really bad firing offense straight off it wasn't good so i mean this this sort of has tentacles that move out into multiple places this whole thing you don't have to say anything to that i just wanted to mention it, that because it, the story it, blew it us away yeah i suppose it's uh, from my perspective that's really disappointing to hear paul and, and i would like to say that I think that's not representative of most of of the um, performance of the defence force and the MIQs, from what I heard. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, the defence or, or a number of, of the defence force were involved for what, almost up to two years yep. uh, to do something that they had never joined the organisation for, they weren't prepared for. Um, and, and I've said to a number of people, perhaps six months in an emergency, you can you can fill that gap on behalf of your nation. But very quickly it starts to have broad implications, especially to the to the extent that that defence force personnel were committed uh, on their on their operational capability, and that's exactly what happened. And, and yeah, so so some of those people were probably on their fourth, fifth, sixth rotation into an MIQ for for three or four weeks, however long they did it at a time. Yeah. That's that's not an excuse, but not an ideal circumstance, and not not something that any of them really signed up to do. Eh? Yet um, one last point. Then Gabriel comes along almost a year to this day. Give it a week or so. A year ago, yeah, and there wasn't the same kind of deployment as you know MIQ. Where uh, we've had a lot of locals there. Where were they? Where were they? They had all this gear, all the equipment, choppers, trucks. Where were they? So, just say. It's a very good question. I think a lot of people asked that. I think there was a lot of people in defence who were wondering uh, whether. I mean, there were, there was a level of people being stood up and made ready, and then didn't quite make it. Uh, I mean, it's ironic, really. We had a couple of of people who were technically not operational because they weren't vaccinated, but had been retained in the defence force because they were critical in critical roles, and then they were deployed temporarily on Gabriel. So for us, it created a bit of. Uh, um, confusion around sorry are, are unvaccinated people deployable or are we not deployable yeah well they don't um, know themselves do they? that's how I, crazy it is that's how silly this whole damn thing is well it it, it strikes to the fact that we've got a defense force that for whatever reason or another is under stress i mean there's a level of pressure that it's trying to manage and um and again it comes back to the people who've been who've lost their roles either for a primary reason i.e. you've been vaccinated and, and you're not being extended or you're being um, sent home, as it were. Right secondary effects, like people who have had uh, what they feel is very bad, well, mistreatment and, and bullying, or they were given a kind of ultimatum, get it or go, and they chose to go. All of us, uh, or many of us, have a sense of, well, um, we're watching our colleagues who are still in um, struggling. There's there's some morale struggles. There are retention issues. The defence force is struggling for the decent personnel, which is one of the reasons why so many of us still have such goodwill towards the defence force and and are looking to looking to work with the defence force in order to to re-enter the work in order to do the job again. Could That's I, one of the reasons why. Could I ask you then what um, what would be music to your ears then as the next chapter of this hope hopefully get to the end of the production but uh <laughs> you know uh, nzdf what what would satisfy you coming from them go on roger um yeah from from my perspective paul that they uh committed up front to reinstate uh those that wanted to return who were terminated so of those of those 23 people should any of those people uh, wish to return, the, the door was open for them to do that. Um, in addition, um, and, and compensation, because they literally uh, lost their jobs, um, speaking from personal experience, and, and everything stopped. And that's backdated, right, Roger? Backdated? Yeah, th th yeah, that's that's what we'd expect, yes. 
Um, and then more broadly, that they would um, open the door for those that chose to leave uh, prior to people being terminated. And, and we suspect that there's well over 100 people um, that did that on the basis of, I think it was 105 uh, was the number defence put in that first court case that we won. They said there was 105 people that were um, in, in this category. And then when we got to the, um, got to the Court of Appeal, uh, I think there were thirty nine, if I if I recall. Mm-hmm. So so there's literally hundreds of people that that have left. We believe as a consequence of of this, and we'd like to fence to open the door and to say, hey, listen, if you want to come back, then reapply. Uh, we'd also like to see defence drop the requirements for people to be vaccinated to enlist. And I, I just got a message yesterday, actually, from my my uh, sister. To say uh, some someone had put something up on on social media to say that their um, son had applied but could not enlist because they were uh, they had chosen not to be vaccinated, and and as you said, Paul, we just got to move on. You know, there's no um, way that can be justified. By the way, that is insanity. That is so far out from reality that again, you despair that that is the defence force talking. Uh, yeah, we agree. We agree. We violently agree with you, Paul. No, yeah. <laughs> no dispute that on that. Insane. It just does not make any sense, and especially in such a time when they are having real challenges to recruit people. Uh, that's just another barrier that you've put in, in front of probably some really great candidates. Um, well, no, the smart so, ones, actually. You'd want to be in the foxhole with them because they'll make <laughs> they'll make rational, sensible decisions unintimidated by idiots. Yeah. You're, anyway, so... You're right. um, so all those others who chose to leave, or and and there were some that were also released, uh, and and was was one of them through a sort of securitous route, um, you know that they are also the door is also open to them to be able to uh, reenlist, re- rejoin the organisation should they should they want to do so. Paul, any um, final words on this? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so picking up, I mean, my my particular story, and, and it's not isolated, but I'll offer mine up as as an example. So I'm, I remember what pretty much the, the last conversation I had with with one of my bosses it was very clear. You know, you will be leaving the defence force. How you leave is up to you, unless you take the vaccine and then and then we'll forget all these conversations ever happened. So really, it was still, you know, it, although I was a secondary uh, impact in this whole thing, my career was cut short um by yeah. by very conversations like that and i there will be many more there'll there'll be more people than probably even roger and i and, and the rest of the, the the team who picked up the care for people on this will be aware of and if any of you defense force people who are listening we would want you to touch with you know where we stand uh you can find it online and, and just reach out to us you know we're all either currently serving or ex-serving and 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 we give a damn and we've had a win and, we, and we're going to find out the best way moving forward. The other thing to mention, Paul, is um, some of the other Five Eyes nations. So if we're going to compare ourselves with the Five five Eyes nations, so you've got the US, UK, Canada, Australia, and us, and we're the sort of the Anglophone allies. Um, and we're, we're, the UK never implemented a, a vaccine mandate in the first place. They encouraged it, but there was no mandate. Uh, and we are now the only defence force that still have the COVID-19 vaccination as a requirement for, for our people currently serving or, I believe, as an entry as an entry requirement. Wow. Okay. Uh, so that yeah. that's hopefully the wisdom of, of, of other nations' forces, all of which are bigger than ours, 
um, will built through to our defence force as well. What a tin little setup we are. I'm sorry, but that's what a tin pot. That's an embarrassment. It really is. Crikey, it's like kids are yeah. running the asylum or something. It's <laughs> you know. I, I mean, how ridiculous is that? Yeah, we're, it, we're not it, we're not disagreeing with you. No, I know you're not, but just to hear it, it's like it, it baffles it, it baffles us. Where, it are, does. These, where are these people from? <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, I we like to think, don't we? We like to think that people have made these decisions, having done their various risk assessments and having made the best decision that was available to them at the time. Uh, and we'd like to think that that was the case, um, and we know that different commanders at different levels are put under different levels of pressure and we're not we're not questioning the requirement to command but um there are there are other things to take into account i think when we watch our closest allies drop their mandates for the various reasons that they have including the concern around ongoing injury and then we don't take that into account in our in our own ongoing decision making it is it is a shame and we hope to see that with this when we've had in court that there is a good, healthy, robust, and um, positive discussion that can happen between us and command teams within the Defence Force. And do you have an idea, just to wind up on the timeline for that, how long do you expect this to take? That? It can't flap around for another year, can it? We hope not. <laughs> um, go on, Roger. I think we'll know within the next couple of weeks, Paul, how Defence is going to respond. Um, and um, so hopefully... Uh, we can get some decisions out of them shortly, and, and in the next few months we can um, transition people back into the organisation. Those that want to go back are, are able to do so. So, um, yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're looking at it positively and, and wanting to work, uh, I suppose, in partnership with, with the organisation to get people back in who want to do so. Can I just add one thing? We'd, we'd really yeah. like to acknowledge Matthew Haig and Ali from Frontline Law um, they've they've journeyed with us for a couple of years now uh, in this process, and and personally, uh, I, I believe Matthew did an outstanding job in the Court of Appeal, Matthew and Ali, uh, and we really appreciate the. Uh, how, how are they feeling? You must have, you must have spoken to them. They must be feeling pretty good about that. Obviously, thanks for mentioning that. By the way, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think they are feeling pretty good about it. But but Matthew himself said, you know, it is sort of a reserved, a, a half judgment, if you know what I mean. They could yeah. have been much firmer. In, uh, in their findings and much more direct, I suppose, with the Defence Force, which is unfortunate. However, as Matthew said, it's still a win. It's still a win, and they found that that temporary Defence Force order to be unlawful. And and so um, we're really pleased about that. Yeah, because they won on two points out of four. We should quickly nail those um, points so people have got a picture of that in their minds before we go. The things that were um, not upheld in our appeal were the um the the judge's initial decision uh siding with the defense force um for the tpfo was um the new zealand bill of rights act uh the issues they were saying that the issues of the new zealand bill of rights act that were presented by us um they they weren't upheld because the the defense force is a unique institution oh, and, and we've all got our own that that was overridden by yeah it's because of the unique nature of of the service they also said that they weren't particularly under threat by the decision either um help me out roger there's another key one that wasn't upheld well, I actually yeah. thought there were seven in total, seven points that, that Matthew put oh, forward. Okay, I've got my um, two points out of four, so yeah. But, but I think the, the good thing, as he explained to us, Paul, is that we only 
only had to win one. We only had to prove that one of those points right. was in fact unlawful, and then and that's, that, the, that's that, the main that one. Success. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And really, where like a, like we've kind of alluded to, what we're hoping for in our group in United we stand. What we want to see happen is to have the positivity of this court finding of our appeal being upheld, not just be positive for us, but be positive for the defence force as well. So we're really calling on the defence force to say, okay, come on, we've we've now had it, we've had a disagreement, we've now had a finding in court. Let's put down any uh, any any sort of past frustrations and let's find a way to work forward because we've got people here who are still fit, who are still dedicated to the nation, who want to carry on with their military careers. Um, let's find a way to do that and let's find a way to put all of this in the past. So we're calling on the current leadership of the New Zealand Defence Force and the incoming leadership of the New Zealand Defence Force to sit down with us and talk in a completely non-animosity-based way. And we would equally hope that that would act as a model for various other places around New Zealand. This is We're aware this isn't just the Defence Force that's had this kind of struggle. We would love to see an amicable resolutions and friendships and, and working relationships um, be rebuilt. Yeah. That would be great. All right. Thank you to both of you for coming on this morning and explaining all that. And I'm sure many of our listeners who probably already knew about this over the weekend because there's been a bit said on social media, et cetera, will be very pleased for you and your and, and the people that you represented and the lawyers, as you mentioned, Roger. So thanks for coming on. Retired yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Roger Earp and former Army Chaplain Major Paul Stanaway. Thanks for coming back on. Congratulations. It must have been a haul. I mean, hanging in there for that long. No yes. doubt about that. And I hope I hope they see sense is all I can say. And I'm sure our audience is thinking that right now. Thanks for coming on and telling us uh, about uh, what happened on Friday. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank yeah, you thanks, me. Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio. Thank you for tuning in to RCR. Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.